Hey, this is Eric Bress, the writer-director of Ghosts of War and the Butterfly Effect, and you're listening to the Horror Squad Podcast. Tonight we're talking about Ghosts of War, which if you're listening on a Friday, it just came out today on streaming platforms, directed by Eric Bress, who we also have an interview after the show that Steve and Joe conducted. Um, he's a writer of this film, also the director, as well as written, or he wrote Final Destination 2, uh, The Final Destination, Butterfly Effect, and other things. So check it out, give it a listen. It's myself, Todd. We have Joe and Steve. We are Samless once again. She has a terrible case of hemorrhoids, so we're <laughs> hoping she gets back on her feet soon. Um, before we get into listener questions, I want to announce the winner of my box of goodies. Oh. And it goes to a very excellent interview. All the reviews that you guys gave us were wait, awesome. Wait, 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 wait. Can, can Steve edit in a drum roll here, please? Yes. <laughs> God damn it. Sure. But uh, we, we appreciate everyone that participated um, from the past to all the present reviews. We truly appreciate it. But the winner of the James Wan autograph Blu-rays, DVDs, comics is Allie Elise from her review on 7-3. So, Allie, thank you very much. And send Woo! us your shipping information uh, to either myself, Todd, 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 all things horror, or Horror Squad podcast on Instagram, Flipping the Nerd, uh, Halloween Happier, Joe's House of Horror, we'll get you hooked up and I'll send it to you right away. So send me your information right away. I'll get it out to you and enjoy. Thank you for everybody for doing your reviews. We really appreciate it. Hell yeah, yeah, we got uh, got a bunch. So thank you everyone for reviewing. It it definitely helps. So thank you so much. <laughs> yep. Um, what we got, Steve? What we got, uh, listener wise? All right. Uh, so we got a few questions in this week. So you can send in those questions on social media at the Horror Squad Podcast, or you can send us uh, an email, the Horror Squad Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the first one comes to us from Mandy. She says, Hey, squad, to answer Joe's question last week, yes, I watched some of the films you recommend each week. 10 Cloverfield Lane, American Mary, Basket Case, Creep are among some I watched based off your recommendations. So to keep it going, which films do you recommend with the letter G? G. Letter G. Let's take Well, <clears throat> Gremlins comes to mind, but that's an obvious choice. Uh, our previous winner of Best of the Decade, Get Out. Is a, Ooh, yeah, yep. A big one. Definitely. Yep. I think she I... watched Greasy Strangler too already. Oh yeah, she didn't <laughs> like it. So, but I'm gonna say Greasy Strangler once again because I love it. Ghost of War tonight. We're reviewing it, so you'll That's hear right. all about that one. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you'll hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> green, uh, green room. room. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, green room. Yeah, green room's awesome. Mm-hmm. How how you guys feel about the gray? Uh, is that the one with uh? Not re- that's not horror, right? It's that's the one with Liam Neeson. I think you could go either way with it. Yeah, but that's yeah, Liam I guess it is yeah. very it is a very good movie. I don't know if I'd categorize it as horror, but uh, yeah, definitely a good flick. I mean, he fist fights a wolf. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
The Grudge. Yeah. yeah. Grizzly. If you guys haven't seen that, it's better Grizzly. Yeah, definitely. Goosebumps Ger- 2. Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Ghostbusters. Yeah, for sure. Go, Ghost Ship for that first scene alone. Mm. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the one movie that everyone always talks about that opening scene, but man, the rest of that movie is pretty rough. Yeah, it's very forgettable, the rest of <laughs> yeah. the movie, but that first scene is so good that it it's almost worth watching just for that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Grindhouse. Pre- Grindhouse pretty solid. Uh, I liked um, Planet Terror more than, uh, what's the, uh, Death Proof? But, yeah, me, both, me too. I love the trailers too. That the between uh, yes. trailers are really fun. Yep. Uh, all right, I think that's a good amount of recommendation for <laughs> yeah. G. Uh, she also asks if you had to make a war horror film. Oh, sorry, no, I'm skipping ahead. There's a whole comment before this. Uh, there aren't a ton of war horror films. Overlord being one of the only ones I can think of from recent times. Do you think it's because war is horror enough without adding additional horror genre elements? Would you like to see more war horror films? Note, I haven't seen Ghost of War yet because it's not out, but I'm personally really looking forward to it. It's a great question. Uh, go ahead, Todd. It sounded like you were going to comment. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to make a war film because war is like one of the things you can mess up very easily if your budget isn't there. And... Um, this is one of my comments I'll have for the main review. Um, however, a couple war movies that I really like that are horror movies is one's called The Bunker. It's a German film. Uh, that one's set in World War II. That's really good. It's like a ghost story in an abandoned bunker complex. And then I talked about this one last episode, but it's called Death Watch, a World War One English film, where they're in the bunker, uh, they're in the trenches, and it's kind of like um, kind of like the one we're gonna watch where they can't really leave for different reasons. So they're stuck in these trenches and there's um, some, uh, some supernatural things happening as well as like people being just normal assholes. So those are a couple of really good ones, but I think, yeah, budget constraints really harm war films. So it's kind of hard to make low budget war films, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, there really hasn't been a ton of like war based harm movies. Um, would you count dog soldiers? Right. I guess would be one. Yeah, I forgot about that one. But I'm, I'm yeah. thinking like more like main. Like, yeah, they don't really focus war on war. Yeah, they don't really focus on war in that too much. Um, but yeah, I would love to see more like war-based horror movies for sure. Um, you, should yeah. take, you should check out Death Watch, man. I think you like it. You too, I will, so. and I'll check out The Bunker too because I've never seen that one either. So. Yeah, yeah and I agree with you guys. Uh, I, I would like to see more, but I also get it. War is horror enough. Like, they, you don't really need to add supernatural elements, so it kind of sticks to its own kind of genre. Uh, but, you know, the few that I have seen have been pretty good, so I think it'd be uh, maybe cool to see a few more, uh, as long as it's handled well. And like Todd said, uh, without a budget, that makes it tougher. And uh, you also don't want to be, like, too, I guess, disrespectful. Mm. I don't know. It's it's There's, like, a fine line there because it's based off something so real, but... Uh, yeah, I'd definitely like to see more. See, there was that one uh, creep show episode from the last, uh, the first season. Yeah, with the, the werewolves. zombies one, or yeah, yeah not zombies. Um, what about the uh, those nuclear war movies that we talked about a little while ago? Those are horrible. I mean, those aren't 
categorized as horror, but they're freaking terrible. Yeah. Uh, Threads and um, Day After, I think. Yep, yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's real life horror, right? So I guess you yeah. could categorize it somewhat like horror. Um, her next question kind of fits in. She says, if you had to make a war horror film, which war would you set it in? I think, I th- you know, I think World War II, like, and obviously tonight's movie, we'll talk about it, is uh, based um, primarily during World War II. And I think World War II is a great setting for a movie. So I'll go with that. But Steve, I got a couple. Okay. Um, there's two that come to mind. Uh, the first one's more on a personal note and be the Korean War um, because I have family who, was, who were veterans of that war and the only thing people think about with that war, if they think of it at all, because most people don't, is mash sets during the Korean War. So it'd be cool to see, I guess, a more gritty version of that war because it was a pretty nasty war. But uh, outside of that, I, I dig the aesthetic of the time period of the civil war uh the whole americana and the costumes they had and the history and i think it'd be a really cool thing to see maybe they're having a civil war and in the middle of their war you know a third party comes up and it's zombies you know like they end and they have to kind of band together or something i don't know i think it'd be really cool to see kind of a zombie civil war film you got uh you got abram lincoln versus vampires yeah. <laughs> not Trash. quite what I had in mind. But <laughs> um, there's a couple things I want to talk about. Um, Civil War. There's a book I read, but I'm gonna get to. There's this real life story of Vietnam where these American soldiers were killed by a tiger. Um, uh, during an ambush, they thought that was the Viet Cong, but it was a freaking tiger that you know drug a guy away. So I think that might be a good story to tell. Um, but then once again, you have to kind of be you know respectful to the men that actually died during it. Um, but there was a book I read called, uh, it was, I forget what it's called, damn it, but it's a, a vampire tale where it's set in modern day Gettysburg and it's like a part four or whatever. And back in the day in the civil war, they had the North had conscript, conscripted vampires to fight the South. turns out they didn't need them because they won the war anyway. And then they took their hearts out, which in the movie, they can't be vampires without the heart, blah, blah, blah. But it was really cool because they came back as like Civil War kind of vampires and started killing people. So it was kind of like a modern day twist on it. It sounds kind of goofy, but it's actually pretty damn good. It's called 99 Coffins. There you go. And um, let's see. Uh, World War II. Um, since there's a lot of like naval stuff, I think that would be cool if they fought like a Kraken or like got lost in the Bermuda mm-hmm. Triangle or something like a couple planes did back during that time frame. If they did something like that, that'd be because I was obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle for, for a while there. So that'd be cool to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I was too as a kid because I watched um, a Ripley's Believe It or Not like series, mm-hmm. and the Bermuda Triangle is one of them that really like struck me as something crazy. Yeah. So, so yeah, some great stories there. Uh, her final question I think will be more for me and Todd. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been gaming more these days. Can you recommend any good horror co-op games? Ooh, horror co-op games. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wrote down a few and let Go me know it. if you think of any other ones. Um, Left 4 Dead is a really mm. hectic and crazy one, both the first and second one. 
uh, Resident Evil 5 and 6, you can play co-op. Um, they're not like the best in the series, but they're really fun co-op. Um, State of Decay 2. Now, I didn't love the game personally, but if you want to kind of live a zombie apocalypse and with you know building up your camp and going on missions and stuff like that, uh, that's definitely one to play. And my wife and I really dug the Ghostbusters arcade game, which you can get uh, on Xbox One. Uh, just a really fun kind of co-op uh, over-the-top shooter. And Gears of War is kind of really gory, so I'd almost almost consider it uh, horror. So that's, you know, the first five are all co-op. So I'd recommend that as well. Yeah, the locusts are pretty horrific in Gears of War. So that makes yeah, sense. there's a lot of blood and a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. and it's, Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and even in Halo, the first three... Um, I mean, those are strictly sci-fi shooters, but there's mm-hmm. a thing called the flood, where kind of like zombies, where you shoot those guys and they take over people and pretty much zombify them. So that'd be good. But um, other than the other ones you said, I can't really think of anything. I think Dead Rising is co-op, which would be a good co-op sucked. game. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. All right. Well, uh, if if you think of any, um, well, I'll let you know. <laughs> Uh, all right, so thank you, Mandy, for the questions. Next one comes to us from Justin. He says, you are given a blank check from your favorite studio to make a horror movie of your dreams. Who do you write? Uh, who do you hire to write, direct, and star in the films? Feel free to include people who are no longer with us. It's your world, baby. We're just living <laughs> in it. Um, I, we've, got, we've gotten this question before, <laughs> so I thought maybe we should do it with only people who are no longer with us, just Ooh. to kind of put a twist on it. Okay. Okay. So, Steve. what is it? Uh, write, direct, and star. Is that what we're going with? Yep. Yep. All right. Have you Have you ever read the original Day of the Dead script, Steve? Just no. I would. I would get George and rest in peace. Today is his anniversary of his death. I believe. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, yes, it was yesterday, but yeah. There was yesterday. Okay. Well, cool. yeah, yesterday from the day we recorded, two days from the day we released. So rest in peace. I mean, my favorite director, Steve's favorite director. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, his original concept for Day of the Dead needed a lot more money. So the the product we got, even though I love it, was not his original vision. Um, original Day of the Dead was like huge in scope. More more along the lines of Land of the Dead, um, but kind of less camping than that turned out. So I would get George. Uh, I would give him the money he wanted. Let's get Vincent Price in there to star because he's amazing. And, um, yeah, George can write direct, give him his money, and have Vincent in there for some reason. But, yeah, the original script is, if you can look it up, it's it's super fun, super good. All right. I'm going to go with um, Hitchcock to write and direct. And who do I want to star? Hmm. I like. It. I mean, Vincent. How can you go wrong with Vincent Price? Like Todd said. I mean, I think that would be pretty good. Yeah, I, I was. Awesome. I was gonna. I was gonna say like Anthony Perkins, but I'm like, well, they hear that's like psycho. So I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me do something. Else. So yeah, let's go with Vincent Price, just because I can't think of anyone else. Yeah, and uh, I I wrote this before uh, the show recorded, and I'm right down the same lines. I have Romero as the writer, Hitchcock as the director, mm. and a trio of Vincent Price, George C. Scott. And Robin Williams as. Oh, uh, nice! Jeez, uh, yeah. <laughs> that'd <laughs> be quite a movie. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I think it'd be cool. You know, maybe the three as old men and they're stuck in a situation that just you know 
a horrific situation. And I'd love to see them kind of tackle it together because they all have kind of their own style, and I think it'd be a fun mix to see. What uh, what what would your subgenre be of horror? Probably uh, zombies because Super Mario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I just love and you know Vincent Price has been in zombie films and just be I don't know it'd be cool. All right. You know we would have had a a very different Resident Evil movie if they didn't fire George from it. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I wonder if it would have been more horror than action, but I guess we'll never know. It was also, well, it was also, like, kind of later, George, though, so. Yeah, I mean, 2002-ish, I I mean, that wasn't, that was, like, around Mm -hmm. Bruiser, and I think all that, that wasn't, that wasn't bad, in my opinion, but, yeah, who knows. Right. It probably would have been better than what it was, to be honest, but that's all. All right, so the next question comes to us from Ryan. He says, question for the new episode, with conventions mostly canceled this year, I'm curious what some of your favorite conventions to attend are, and do you think COVID will have a lasting effect on conventions? Will fewer people attend large gatherings in small areas like conventions usually are in, or will this break make them even more popular in the coming years? Love the show and stay healthy. Hmm. And just a note on that, uh, I read that there's a horror convention happening this weekend. There is, yeah. Uh, that I saw Damien Maffei tweet about that the celebrities are all canceling and they're not yeah. putting it on their website and it's a whole thing. And it's yep. weird. It's uh, Days of the Days Dead. Of Dead. Yeah. Yes, Days of the Dead in Indy. Um, as of this recording, I know like more than half the guests have canceled. Uh, Brad Dorif, uh, Fiona Dorif, Daniel Harris, uh, Richard Dreyfus, uh, amongst others. But basically, like, all of their headliners have canceled. I know they have – there are some guests that are still showing up. um, But I'm surprised they're even going along with it. I think it's – I mean, personally, I think it's irresponsible of the con to continue on to, you know, do a convention at this juncture. But, hey, I mean, people are going to show up, I guess, so. Yeah, I always go to that con, too. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, I know that they're offering, uh, uh, I think discounts now, like 50% off, like your next ticket. Cause they, you know, cause of all the cancellations and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, I think cons will definitely come back. I, I don't think, I, I think it's going to have to be until either, uh, you know, a vaccine comes out or whatever. I mean, I don't think it's safe to attend large gatherings, um, right now, and even if it is semi-safe, I guess everyone wears masks, practices social distance and stuff. I just don't think it would be um, like a fun time, just because you're kind of. It's always going to be in the back of your head, and um, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And you know, there. And uh, this is part of the Days of the Dead. They're not doing photo ops um, at this convention either, because a lot of the celebrities are going to be wearing masks the whole time. So, like, you know, like why you're not going to want to get your picture with, you know, one of the celebrity with their mask on and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't go to a convention until this all is kind of, uh, until a vaccine comes out or they figure something out with this. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I, I can't even go to Costco without people not wearing masks <laughs> correctly. So I'm not going to trust horror fans, to be honest, because. Right. Yeah. I mean, look at these horror cons already. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the, just, uh, the, you Personal know, the hygiene's con- the problem. Yeah, exactly. And the con, <laughs> And of course, con crud. A lot of people get sick right after the mm-hmm. con and stuff. So, yeah, it's just uh, 
probably not the best thing. As far as my favorite horror conventions, Monster Mania in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, is probably my favorite I've ever attended. Um, they just know how to do it right. They always get, you know, huge names. Um, Texas Frightmare Weekend, obviously another big one. That one's um, really enjoyable too. But I would say those are my two favorites that I've attended. I thought they canceled Monster Mania like permanently. No, not permanently. No, uh, Rock and Shock, which was oh, Rock a, and Shock. yeah, that was in that's a Massachusetts con that um, mm. got shut down permanently, and also Scaricon, which was another Massachusetts con. Um, so there's really no Massachusetts conventions, horror conventions right now, which is a total bummer. Uh, yeah, the favorite ones I go to that are local are um, Days of the Dead, which is an indie in Cincinnati. Uh, usually, as well as Horror Hound, which is in both of those locations. Oh, and Louisville goes there, too. Um, in California, when I lived there, it was Monst- uh, Palooza, Son of Palooza, and then Day of the Dead, and then Weekend of Horrors when Fangoria was still around. They used to do awesome cons, but not anymore. Mm. Yeah, and I've I've only been to one horror con, which was Rock and Shock. And uh, I, I killed it like I do all the cons <laughs> I go to now. Uh, I, I was planning to go to a bunch of them this year, but uh, yeah. being COVID uh, destroyed that. Um, so my favorite ones, I guess, would have to be Montreal Comic Con and Ottawa Comic Con. Um, they do occasionally have pretty good horror guests. And uh, the thing that's interesting about them is because I go every single year to both, and the cities are pretty close to each other, I know all the vendors, so, like all the horror vendors, because it's always the same ones. So it's like just kind of seeing friends again. Um, but other than that, I was really looking forward to going to some of the cons in America. But I probably, well, I don't even know my country will let me. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, um, you know, I'll probably wait till there's a vaccine and things have gotten kind of back to normal. Uh, you get, you guys won't let us in. We're, we're no. banned from <laughs> traveling everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't, no, we're, we're not letting our people out and we're not letting, well, to your country. And we're not yeah. letting anyone in ours. It's uh yeah because we're protesting over fucking wearing a mask. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, for all of our U.S. listeners, wear a mask. It's not it's not difficult. No, but it's, um, not, it's not political. It's just no common sense. Like for fuck's sake. Seriously, <laughs> I don't want your breath on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I I look forward to attending them again though. But I do think that once they do reopen, even after a vaccine. It's going to take years before they're back to what they yeah. were before. I think they're going to keep somewhat of the social distancing rules. This cons might uh, shrink a little bit. I could see them going with smaller crowds uh, or bigger spaces between um, the booths and stuff like that, which all stuff I would, I, I'm personally super happy about because yeah. my biggest complaint about cons is there's, it, it's like a fucking just, you can't even put your arms out because there's so many people and people crowd in the booth and it's super uncomfortable and it's just ugh. yeah they they really need to actually sell out tickets but in a reasonable number you know not well yeah. i hate i hate wall-to-wall people like make it make it an incentive to to pre-order tickets for the cheaper price or whatever and like it's sold out sold out i know they make less money but they make it so more enjoyable for people mm-hmm. yeah but they won't no no, too much and money. and for now, I guess they got virtual cons for people Ugh. who are really who are really itching to get into the with the, the con experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. And the final question. Now it's been a very long time since this person sent in a question. 
Uh, it comes from me, Steve. <laughs> I really want to ask this one. Um, what was the most unexpected death in a horror film? Uh, I watched a Cinemassacre video about this right before recording, and I got curious what you guys think. What unexpected deaths in a horror film like come out to you? Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal Joe's because I know he's going to say it. <laughs> Randy from Scream 2. Yes, that was the first one that popped <laughs> in my head for sure. <laughs> I think that's the most painful one because he's such a good character. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess it wasn't unexpected though, right? Like you kind of knew it was maybe coming there when <sighs> yeah. he's on the phone. Something you hope that doesn't happen though. Uh, one that pops in my head recently is um Hereditary. Um, the girl from Hereditary where her fucking mm. the pole takes off her head there. That that like shocked me. I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting her to like be in the movie for like I was expecting her to be like the main character, you know. And yeah. then she goes the first quarter of the movie and. Yeah, I was just like, holy shit. So, yeah, that one definitely threw me off. Yeah. Uh, for me, the first one I think of is Sam Jackson and Deep Blue Sea. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was such a setup for uh, – <laughs> it's just it's just so funny and awesome. And, you know, it's Sam Jackson. You don't think he's going to get killed so early in the film, especially right. at a point where he's doing the typical cliche, like, we're going to get him speak. God, stick together. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I got, another, I got another one, and I know um, – a lot of people don't even like to think of this one, um, but uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's death in uh, Halloween Resurrection. Oh. I was not expecting that at all, and I think it pissed me off. It pissed a lot of people off, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's uh, And that goes for a lot of the established characters' deaths from future uh, films, like in Nightmare on Elm Street, it's the same thing, and it's just, right. it's, yeah, it sucks I, when they... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was surprised when they killed Nancy in part three as well. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. What about uh, what about Drew Barrymore in Scream One? Was that that wasn't expected, right? That was like a shocking thing, killing a main yeah. actress. Yeah, yeah. she was in all the trailers, right? So she was yeah. on the main, she was on like the main poster and everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so it was, yeah, that was a big surprise too. That's a good scene, man. Fuck, yeah, I want to watch yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. One that, uh, now this is more sci-fi than horror, but uh, that really bummed me out as a kid and really surprised me was uh, Dizzy's death in Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because, one, she's fucking hot. And two, I thought she was better for Johnny because I, I, I don't really like Denise Richard. So I was like, yeah, yeah Carmen bummed. sucked. Yeah, so it was like, That's oh. That's why Sandra on. liked her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just giving him a blowy on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I fucking yeah. hate Xander, dude. With his stupid ass dirty hair, like comb your hair, you're you're a freaking officer, man. What else has that dude been in? Days uh, of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> was, wasn't he like nine two one oh two or something like that, mm-hmm. or was that just? Days? Yeah, I well, know he was in something. I was. Seeing I, I saw something was in really Days of Our recently. Lives. <laughs> yeah. I still has the same haircut. Like, <laughs> man. I, actually, okay. Now, now I'm really gonna. I'm already digging my hole here, but uh, <laughs> uh, my wife watches Real Housewives. And uh-huh. Denise Richards is on it, and she's still yes. friends with him. So yeah. you see oh, really? him pop up yeah, from yeah. time to time. I yeah, me, uh, yeah. Sam watch me and Sam watch it too. And uh, yeah, I saw that part. And I got excited actually. <laughs> Who's she married <laughs> to? Though? It's not Charlie Sheen, right? No, not anymore. She's married to some I don't know, some fitness dude or something. Lame. Yeah. Also I... on that show, Todd is uh uh. What's her name? Lindsay Kyle, Wallace Kyle, from, yeah, Kyle from Halloween. Oh, yeah, Kyle Richards. A babe. 
Um, but yeah, that dizzy death is super well done, though. Uh, yeah, but that broke my heart as a kid. I was like, no. Yeah. After she fucking fastballs a grenade in the thing's mouth. Oh, speaking yeah. of speaking of Kyle Richards too, um, who is it? Uh, some website is doing a private signing with her, and I, that's a really rare opportunity. She hardly ever signs, so um, Steve might know. Yeah, CPA Authentics. CPA Authentics. Which I, I, I use a lot, and it's a great service. Like, they're really good about doing everything you ask for, and uh, shipping and everything's always super clean. So, yeah, I highly recommend the service, and she, yeah, she's doing it. It was cheaper than I thought it would be, so I don't remember what it was, but... I think it, it was, was, like, 75 or something. 75, man. Yeah. Yeah, considering her husband is fucking, like, one of the richest people in America. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. I, I was and surprised... She- yeah, she's never going to do a con, and, right. you know, so I think it's, if you want to get her on a Halloween poster or something like that, and I, they do mail-ins, too, so if you have, like, a Halloween poster with a bunch of signatures on it, it's probably worth it. Would you just yeah. send your Jamie Lee thing in there? Well, no, see, my Jamie Lee is just the three, you know, oh, girls, chicks, so, huh? yeah, the three, yeah, so it's, that's completed for me, so, mm. yeah, if anything, I would just get her on a, uh, I don't know. I'd probably just get her on like a Halloween poster and maybe just like add to. I do have a, a Halloween full size poster and it's signed by Nick Castle, so I guess I could send that in. But yeah, I don't know. I I'm not. I, I think I'm gonna pass on her honestly. Yeah, uh, I actually just bought the uh, autograph for Will Sandin, who played Michael Myers as a kid. Oh, nice. Uh, I thought it would be a cool little addition uh, next to Ari Lehman for Jason. So. Yeah, now, definitely. just get a, a little Freddy and we're, <laughs> we're <cool>. get the kid <laughs> uh, from uh, part part five, Dream Child. There, Freddy. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> I don't know what he's up to. Probably nothing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's all the questions we had this week. Thank you, everyone, for sending them. We can't do the segment without you. Very cool. What watched? Who wants to go first? I'm I'll not. Go. I'm not ready yet. So yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll go. So uh, the first one I have this week is uh, something I talked about a little bit last week, but I want to go into more detail, uh, more as a precautionary tale, <laughs> and that's uh, American Psycho Part Two, uh, mm-hmm. which I found on Tubi. Uh, American Psycho was on my top ten of the decade. Uh, so you know, it's when I saw that there was a part two, which I totally forgotten about. Uh, I had to watch it. This one stars Mila Kunis and William Shatner, of all fucking people. So right away, the movie starts off, and spoiler alert, within the first five minutes, they kill Patrick Bateman. And I'm like, whoa, fuck. (laughs) This is not how you start a movie. You don't play it. Is it? No one. It's one of those, like, it's like behind his head, like, in shadows, Uh, and he's wearing, like, a mask. And it's one of those, like, cheap fucking, yeah. Does she Uh, kill him? Yeah, she does, and she's a kid. She's like, what it's because it's before she, she, she's like eleven or something or ten. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so right away, I knew this movie was gonna be shit. Uh, then the music in this movie is fucking horrible. Like the music cues are kind of poppy '90s alt bands. I don't know, but really bad ones, like not good alternatives. Um, William Shatner is William Shatner. I'm not a fan of William Shatner mostly because of personal bad experiences with him at cons. Uh, but his acting is also super hammy and stupid in this. He plays a 
an amazing, apparently, FBI agent uh, that teaches at a school. And Mila Kunis' character is trying to be his, like, uh, his assistant. Uh, so she's competing against people in her class. And this guy is supposed to be, like, the top of the top at the FBI for investigating people and everything. And she starts killing her, like, people in her class so she could be the for sure pick to be his assistant. And he never sees it coming. Like, what the fuck? It's the most obvious killing spree ever, but he never has a clue. Uh, she tries to microwave a cat at some point, which I fucking hate. There's just nothing good about this fucking movie at all, uh, other than stars Mila Kunis, who I think is awesome. But oh, yeah. other than Babe. that, yeah, for sure. Uh, just a fucking terrible film. And just to make it uh, this fucking cherry on the Sunday of this shitstorm is uh, you don't, all of the kills in the movie are off screen. Oh, every, single, yeah. every single one of them, which is right. so fucking stupid and so unlike American Psycho. Yeah. It's just, don't watch this film. It's, 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 I saw it on Leaving Soon on Tubi, so thank God. But uh, <laughs> if you happen to see it, don't watch it. Just terrible film. Oof. Well, Lame. yeah. Didn't want to see it and definitely will not see it now, for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, my uh, first one tonight is from 2012, and it is a movie called Found. Uh, found is about this, uh, you know, like a preteen uh, boy who's basically uh, he's a big horror fan and uh, he's struggling with being a uh, being bullied uh, in school and stuff like that. Um, so we're going through his story. But what we find out is that his brother is a serial killer and his brother is probably his brother is probably like a senior in high school type uh, thing. And uh, we kind of go through like um, back and forth between uh, the brother, who's a serial killer, and this uh, young boy um, who uh, we, you know, who ends up, uh, sorry, the uh, older, the old, he finds out, the older brother finds out that uh, his younger brother knows that he is a serial killer. And um, I'll leave it at that because uh, this movie um, is super low budget. Um, so the acting at times is pretty rough and pretty wooden, but I would recommend this movie because it's, uh, pretty brutal, uh, especially the ending. And, uh, I was never bored and I, I found myself interested throughout most of it you know, uh, to see what was going to happen. And, uh, I liked the characters and stuff. So, um, it's not perfect, but I think it is worth a watch. Alrighty. Uh, my first one is 1985's Creature, uh, which is on a free horror app on my TV. I forget what the horror app is called, but it's Creature, and it is an alien knockoff uh, directed by William Malone. He might know from uh, House on Haunted Hill remake, Fear.com, uh, Master of Horror episode, and, and so on. Um, it's it's super low budget, but it has some really entertaining gore in it. Um, the creature is nowhere near as good as Alien, even though some of the set designers worked on Alien, worked on this film. Um, so you can see some similarities and stuff. But it's just something that was like a cash grab to kind of capitalize on the fandom of that movie. But that being said, if you come across it on a free app like Tubi or whatever, it, you can do a lot worse. Um, like I said, good gore. It's well acted. Just, you know, if you've seen Alien, you've seen the better version of this movie already. So 1985's Creature. Uh, all right, my next one you can also find on Tubi, and that's X, Night of Vengeance. Uh, this is an Australian film. It follows two prostitutes who witness a murder uh, from a corrupt cop who then chases them around Sydney. 
the main prostitute in the film is actually like her story arc is decent. It kind of follows her as to why she's a prostitute and where she wants to go from there. Like she doesn't, she's not too sure about her quote unquote career path and her motivations for doing it are kind of uh, well explained and it see her struggle kind of whether she wants to go in, in this world or not. And the people that she meets on this adventure, uh, it's actually a more interesting film than I thought it would be. Uh, but overall it is a little bit boring and a little bit dull. Uh, a lot of it takes place at night and it makes it just super dark, like not dark, like, you know, it's like sad, dark, like you can't see what the fuck is going on. Um, and uh, still, I, I'd say if you see it and happen to fall upon it, maybe it's worth a watch, but nothing you should go out and seek. So that's X Night of Vengeance. All righty. Uh, my next one is from 1981, and this one you can watch on Tubi TV. Uh, it is called Hell Night, and it stars Linda Blair from The Exorcist fame. Uh, this one is about um, – it, it takes place in a college town uh, where these college uh, pledges, basically, uh, they're forced to spend uh, a night in an old mansion uh, in order to get you know into their sorority or frat house. Uh and what we find out is that the mansion uh, is basically there was a, you know, this tragic massacre type thing happened uh, at the house and the uh, pledges and stuff, you know, they kind of uh, rigged the house with like all this like fake stuff. But what we find out is there's something more sinister laying inside the mansion. And I'll leave it at that. Um, this one was actually uh, a really fun movie. Um, total 80s vibes for sure in it. Uh, Linda Blair is, you know, a main character in it. Um, she does really good in it. Um, you know, it's, you know, if you're just like into that, you know, 80s slasher slash ghost house style movie. Um, yeah, it's a fun time and I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, she looks pretty good in it too. She does, indeed. Yeah, Do you you like the, this one, Todd? You seen this one? Yeah, I enjoy it. She's got push-up bra going on, too, so <laughs> yeah. that's yep. a plus. Uh-huh. All right, mine is 1995's Rumple Fucking Stillskin. Ooh. And uh, the cover art frightened me as a child, and his little weird ass <laughs> is still pretty creepy and effective, man, if you haven't seen it in a long time. But Rumple Stillskin, 1995, directed by the same gentleman that made and wrote Leprechaun, so it has leprechaun vibes and basically rumpelstiltskin is the the fairy tale where he steals babies and you have to know his name to defeat him and things like that so it uh he gets trapped in like the 1400s by some i think a witch and then present day someone finds him in like a thrift store like the little um figurine he was trapped in and of course the things you have to do to set him free happen and he wants the main character's baby and it falls the main character um, her friend and this literal douchehead, uh, douchebag guy, because he's like a TV host, kind of like um, like the guy that hosted Girls Gone Wild, that douchey levelness. That's his character. And uh, she finds him and he helps her. So, And somehow he gets a date with her at the end, which is extremely unrealistic. But Rumpelstiltskin is actually super fun, very creepy, because the, the actor and the makeup is excellent. Of course, it's got some 90s weird shit, like he's... Um, He's driving a motorcycle at one point and a big rig, and it's kind of weird. But other than that, Tubi's got it for free, and I think you'll like it. So Rumpelstiltskin. Cool. Uh, my last one you can find on Shudder, and it's a documentary. It's uh, Smoke and Mirrors, the story of Tom Savini. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of Tom Savini's career and his work. Uh, I love, you know, a lot of the movies he's been in, both as an actor, uh, obviously as a makeup artist, and the movie that got me into horror is one he directed, which was the remake of The Nightmare, um, oh my God, Night of the Living Dead. So this movie, this documentary, really focuses on his life more so than his career. Now, it does show, you know, little tidbits about movies he's made or makeups he's worked on, but it focuses more on his relationship with his family, what his uh, parents were like, what his brothers were like, uh, what his, you know, his ex-wives, because he's had like three or four, and what how that affected him in life and his uh, time in the military, which for those who don't know, he was a photographer who took pictures of the casualties of the war after the fighting had happened. Man, so combat kind of photographer is rough. Yeah, he'd follow the battles uh, like right after and just take pictures of them, which helped him in his makeup, but also fucked him up a lot in uh, real life. Uh, it's a really good documentary. Uh, not one of the best documentaries I've seen. I think the way it's presented makes it a little like you're missing some stuff that you feel would be really cool to see, uh, particularly like some of his work that they don't really go into detail too much about. Uh, one thing that was a lot of interest to me is he talked about his experience on Night of the Living Dead. And one thing that really struck me is his vision of the film really didn't come to fruition because they cut a lot of it for budget reasons or, um, you know, MPA reasons, like trying to bring it down to a little bit less of the gore fest that he wanted. An example of that is when Tommy gets blown up by the truck Originally, he wanted to set him on fire, and then he, like, ran to the truck, which is what made the truck explode, uh, things like that that he had to cut out of the movie. And he was also going through a really bad time in his life at the time. So to this day, when people talk to him about this movie, it kind of bums him out. Like, he doesn't like that movie, which surprised me because I thought, like, he loved that movie, especially if you listen to his commentary on the disc, on the Blu-ray of that movie. He seems really into it. And that kind of explains when I met him. I was just like kind of geeking out about the movie and he was kind of not really responding, which I was like, oh, okay, I guess whatever. Uh, so that might be a, a thing. But anyway, it's a good documentary and I would recommend it. I think it's a Shutter exclusive, so you can only see it there. Uh, Smoke and Mirror is a, tori- a story of Tom Savini. He, he's a notorious butthole too at cons. <laughs> yeah, he so is. Don't, don't take it personally. <laughs> No. no, I know. It's just because I guess because I idolized him so much that it yeah. kind of bummed me out. He wasn't mean or anything. He just was really like cold, I guess. Yeah, he's absent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Be- before you go, Joe, Steve, have you ever seen Children of the Living? Not Children of the yeah, Living yeah. Dead. Yeah, his, his second directed movie. <laughs> he only directed it, like three. Is it Children of the Living Dead? I don't think that's the right title. It, it, I think it is Children of the Living Dead. It's something very similar to that if it's not. But where it's terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I, I was looking at, because I love Night so much. I was yeah, it is Children of the Living Dead. Is it, uh, is... That I, I sought it out because that's all he only directed two films, that and Night of the Living Dead. So oh my god, this movie is fucking garbage. <laughs> it's yeah, mm. it's bad. Mm. Uh, all right, my last one for tonight is a 2020 release, and uh, it is a Shutter exclusive. And uh, Todd talked about this one uh, a couple weeks ago, and th- that is Yummy. Uh, Yummy is about... You talked about this one, Chief. I No, I didn't. When? Last episode. No. 
No? Steve? Oh. No, I remember you talking about it, but not Joe. I, 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 I messaged you about it, Todd. Uh, everything just blurs together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, well, Yummy is uh, about uh, a woman who is very voluptuous, and she wants to get a uh, breast reduction. And uh, so she goes to this hospital, and basically uh, all hell breaks loose in the hospital where a uh, the doctor was doing experiments and uh, basically was creating zombies. And basically we have a, a huge zombie outbreak in this hospital. Um, this movie is, what is it, Todd? Swedish? Is that it what it is? is Belgian. 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 Okay. Belgian. So it's a, it's a Belgian movie. However, they speak English like throughout half the movie. So it's like half subtitled, half in English, which was a little confusing. I thought I was like, either just go one way or the other, just go all English or all um, Belgian, because it just did not make uh, too much sense to me um, for that. However, this movie is a ton of fun. Um, I really love this movie. It currently is definitely in my top 10 of the year list. Um, uh, yeah, it's just really fun. Um, there's bits of comedy in there, um, and the, it works. The comedy works really well. I wouldn't really categorize this, though, as a horror comedy. I think it's mainly, mostly horror, um, but great gore awesome practical effects in this one and um i loved the ending so yeah i definitely recommend this one yeah me too which one do you like better blood quantum or this one? Oh, this one by far yeah me too yeah all right my third and final one is a family horror film called the haunted mansion from 2003 currently on disney what are they called it disney plus is that what they call it yep yes yep disney plus so haunted mansion um, not a lot to say on it. I mean, if, if you know, if you're familiar with Haunted Mansion, it's a freaking Haunted Mansion from uh, Disney. Stars Eddie Murphy, who is a realtor with his wife, and um, the the main guy at the Haunted Mansion wants his wife because, like, I guess it's an ancestor, or his old wife from a couple hundred years ago, some shit like that. He brings his whole family to him, and you just go through the mansion, and you see a lot of things that you saw if you've ever been on the ride. Fun movie. Um, not my favorite but it was a good kid watch and I like seeing some of the stuff that you would see on the ride on the big screen. Jennifer Tilly does a great, um, I don't even know what you call her head in a ball. I don't know. Steve helped me out with that. Yeah. Madam Leona. She's uh... there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it could have been a lot better, but I think it was still a pretty fun movie. So Haunted Mansion, Disney plus currently streaming. it. I think that's it for what watched. Yeah, yes, it is. It. Do you like that one, Steve? Uh, not originally, because I I see so much potential in a Haunted Mansion film, and that mm-hmm. one is just so fucking cheesy, and so like by the numbers, uh, like yeah. there's nothing great about it. Uh, the characters are so I don't know over the top. Uh, like he's a real estate agent in the film, and it's just like super over the top. But it's one of those that I keep watching it, and it's like growing on me every time I watch it a little bit more and more. Uh, but I do think I know Guillermo del Toro wants to make a Haunted Mansion film, and I think that would be really fucking cool. That would be awesome. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he has like actual props from the ride and everything in his house, and he's a big, big fan. So I think that would be fucking awesome. What was the movie he made um, with Loki and the guy from? Uh, Sons yeah, of from, from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Um, Crimson Tide. Uh, Crimson. Crimson, Crimson, Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Well, imagine that. 
but yeah. Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That'd be I dope. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Or even like scary stories, but I know he didn't direct it, but he produced it, and I think that's like would be. It kind of reminds me of Haunted Mansion in ways. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that'd be super cool. So uh, before we go on, there is something we need to do, and that Ooh. is get some Deadly Grounds coffee. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Horror news, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for a sequel to Bird Box? Yes, that is correct, folks. A uh, sequel to Bird Box is currently in development, which apparently I didn't know um, is a sequel to the book um, titled Mallory. Um, So Mallory currently in development, um, kind of in uh, tight, uh, tight lipped right now. uh, But all they can say right now is that it is in development. Um, The full plot down for Mallory is, though, uh, 12 years after Mallory and her children rode up the river to safety, a blindfold is still the only thing that stands between sanity and madness. One glimpse of the creatures that stalk the world will drive a person to unspeakable violence. Uh, there remains no explanation, no solution. All Mallory can do is survive and impart her fierce will to do so on her children. Uh, don't get lazy, she tells them. Don't take off your blindfold and don't look. So, yes, a uh, sequel to Bird Box. Uh, what do you guys think? I don't know about that one. I mean, you liked it, right? I mean, I think we yeah. all liked Bird Box, right? I just don't know where you go with it. Right. Mm. Well, yeah, it's probably I, coming. I'm interested and... to see. A... Sorry, I was just going to say I'm interested yeah. to see. Because I hear it takes place years later, right? Yes, so 12 years how, later, it's what it says. Yeah, I'm interested to see how people adapted to it and that kind of stuff. So uh, just to see how the what the world looks in that universe. Mm-hmm. Like, what did they have to change to make to adapt to that situation? I think it would be interesting. But other than that, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. And I'm assuming it's probably going to, you know, head to Netflix. So probably within the next couple of years. All right, next bit of news here is... You know how we're getting uh, all of these Universal Monsters movies? Well, they didn't want to leave out the kiddies, as uh, Toy Story 4 director um, is going to be directing a family-friendly Universal Monsters movie. Um, It is going to be a live-action hybrid, whatever that means, so I'm assuming CGI monsters in this. Um, But sources have described it as a love letter to classic Hollywood and the history of filmmaking with a story that takes a multi-generational approach to monsters. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for that. That sounds like it could be um, a lot of fun. So sounds like the Monster Squad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. 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 We shall see that. I mean, actually, I think that would be it. If it is, I mean, the Moscow would be the perfect movie for, like, a remake or something. Because, um, yeah, I think kids, I mean, kids love monsters. So, putting mm-hmm. it, you know, so I think it'd be great. 
All right, uh, next bit of news here is the Soska sisters. Uh, you know, say what you will about them, but they uh, are quite prevalent in the horror genre, and it has been announced that they are going to be um, directing a movie adaptation of the horror video game Blindside. Uh, you, you guys are the gamers. You guys familiar with this game? Never heard of it. Mm, All right. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, apparently it is an audio adventure game, um, yeah. which I don't even know what that means. Uh, but uh, all right. Unseen is said to be about a Boston couple who wake up blind in a terrifying world they cannot recognize. As the couple cloth their way through this terrifying new reality, they fear their sanity slipping away. They sense the presence of a strange new species, one for which light is not a priority. So it basically sounds like bird box and a quiet place. Uh, But uh, we'll see. Uh, Unseen is a horror film experience completely unlike any other. This film will truly bring the fear of the unknown to life by putting the focus on storytelling of storytelling on what you hear, uh, the Soska said in a statement. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for that. If you are a Soska sisters fan, have you guys seen their latest movie? Ha uh, rabid. Negative. Negative. All right. Well, it was okay. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. It's a, rem- uh, it's a remake, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Cronenberg, they are not. <laughs> I won't say that. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't watch it, you're not missing anything. I will say that. Um, all right, next bit of news here. All right, Shark Week is coming up, as uh, you all know. Are you guys big fans of Shark Week, or you kind of think it's like a, a kind of over it? Mm, I, don't, I don't think I've watched it, honestly. Like yeah. ever? Well, no, not ever. I mean, yes, <laughs> ever, but... Wait, no, I, you know what I mean. I've watched it before, but I don't like seek it out. Yeah. Okay. yeah to, to me, it's like a, it's almost like a reminder that okay, I'm due to watch like a cool shark film. I don't yep. know. It's just like more, more, more so than actually watching anything on Discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's a cool little thing. I think it's a cool little event, basically. Yeah. All right. Well, Shark Week is going to be kicking off August 9th, and are you guys ready for the main event? As we have. <laughs> Mike Tyson. <laughs> Mike Tyson. Versus Jaws. Rumble God. on the Reef. Yes. Uh. You heard me correct. Mike Tyson is going to be um, challenging a uh, shark. All right. So I, I'm i going to read this because I don't exactly know what they mean by this. So uh, legendary boxer Mike Tyson is training to make his way back in the ring with a very unlikely sparring partner. Iron Mike will go toe to fin with one of the ocean's top apex predators when Shark Week 2020 begins on Sunday, August 9th, with famed ring announcer Michael Buffer calling the shots. (laughs) (laughs) These two heavyweights will swear off underwater, where Mike Tyson will try to score a TKO over the massive shark. And don't worry, no sharks were harmed or bitten in the making of this episode. Uh, Tyson went on to say, I I took on this challenge to overcome fears I still deal with in life. I equate this with overcoming my fear of getting back into the ring at 54 years old. I learned from this experience doing Shark Week that whatever intimidates me, I'm still able to step up to the challenge of overcoming anything that would prevent me from accomplishing my life's mission of reaching my highest potential in life. Uh, So, yeah, that's... uh, I mean, that sounds like it's going to be must-watch television. Uh, August 9th, 
Uh, Tyson versus a shark, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I said in the chat, it's probably going to be like the stupid Phelps one they did. Where I mean, he... what like what is it going to be like? Obviously, he can't like actually. He's, he's fight not going to fight a shark. shark. No, well, because like you'd have Peta up his, kill his ass. ass. And, well, you're not too. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just going to be put in a cage to see if he can fight his fear. That's all it is going. It's going to be. Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. You guys but, remember? Go ahead, Todd. No, I'm I'm excited for his actual boxing comeback though. <laughs> is he actually trying to make a comeback? Yeah, him and a Vandler, Vander might uh, fight for charity. Oh my God, that would He's be something. so cool. <laughs> That'd be that would be kind of fun. He's a beast still, man. You see him train? Oh, fuck, oh yeah. yeah. Definitely. You fucking kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing uh, cameos now for like 500 bucks a pop. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next bit of news here is for you Blumhouse horror fans. Uh, Blumhouse has announced a 10-movie Blu-ray collection. Um, this will be uh, is going to be called Blumhouse of Horrors. It will be releasing on Blu-ray uh, September 29th. The set will include The Purge, Ouija, The Boy Next Door, Unfriended, The Visit, Split, Get Out, Happy Death Day, Truth or Dare, and Ma. Uh, this is the largest collection of Blumhouse horror titles on home video to date. Um, actually looks like a pretty cool set. Um, so yeah. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, it does not have a price point on it. So, um, yeah, just, you know, I'm sure you can find it on uh, pre-order on Amazon or anything like that. But, uh, Todd, as a collector, is this something you would pick up? No, because I, I already have the titles that I want out of those. Yeah. So I don't think I would be getting that. All right. All right. Well, Okay, just a couple more bits of news here. Uh, one being a very big piece of news, uh, but uh, really quickly here uh, for you Halloween Hocus Pocus fans, they have just announced a Billy Butcherson uh, Funko Pop that is going to be a Spirit Halloween Store exclusive. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that if you are a fan of uh, that series. And let's end it with a big, big piece of news tonight as Chucky... The TV series um, will officially be getting a release date in 2021 on the USA and Sci-Fi Networks. Yeah, it will be airing on both networks. Um, Mancini, I uh, did share a teaser today. I don't know if either of you guys saw the teaser today. No. Okay. I did. Well, it was okay. nothing. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was. Just, it just kind of. It just kind of played the Chucky uh, music and kind of took you around a toy store was it or something or a warehouse i guess yeah yeah a toy store yeah um but okay so uh the tv series will be called chucky um fittingly uh it is being described as a fresh take on the franchise that will explore chucky's character with a depth that is uniquely afforded by the te television series format uh after a vintage chucky doll turns up at a suburban yard sale uh, an idyllic American town is thrown into chaos as a series of horrifying murders begin to expose the town's hypocrisies and secrets. Meanwhile, the arrival of enemies and allies from Chucky's past threatens to expose the truths behind the killings, as well as the demon doll's untold origins as a seemingly ordinary child who somehow became this notorious monster. Um, Mancini also went on um, to, uh, in his... 
announcement today said, uh, with this TV show, our mission has been to preserve the straightforward scariness of the original film or the first couple of films, but at the same time, um, continue on with this ever-expanding tapestry of consistent story that we've spun over the course of seven movies uh, and 30 years. I think fans are really going to love to see the new characters that we introduce into this realm um, and see how they came off of our classic characters, not just Chucky, but some of the others that you may be hoping to see. There's a good chance they may turn up. Um, of course, Jennifer Tilly has signed on and uh, Brad Dourif and basically the whole original cast, Alex, Vincent and everyone. So yeah, Chucky coming to USA and sci-fi next year. Very exciting news. And uh, that that is it for horror news. Is Fiona uh, one in thing that one? That I... What's up? Is Fiona in that one? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, it's basically everyone that is like involved in the franchise right now is uh, going to be coming back. I think even maybe uh, Christine Elise might be making a cameo and oh. stuff. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one more thing. I don't remember if we talked about it last week, but I don't think so. Did you talk about the uh, Friday Thirteenth release from uh, Shout Factory? I did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to do it? I got it. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Shout Screen Screen Factory. Sorry announced a massive 16-disc Friday the 13th Blu-ray box set, which includes all of the films in the Friday the 13th series, including, uh, you know, Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, the remake, and I think also Freddy vs. Jason, if I remember. So everything where Jason, yeah, confirmed, uh, Freddy vs. Jason as well. So everything that Jason has ever been in uh, is going to be in this really amazing-looking uh, box set it retails for $160 USD. It's got a ton of uh, features for each of the films and a few extra discs for kind of an overall feature. Um, I think it's going to be really, really cool. And I'm personally thinking of picking this one up. Yeah. And the artwork on the box looks mm, awesome. Fantastic. And, yeah. and it, and it comes with a, uh, a uh, print as well uh, two, that two you prints. can frame and stuff. So uh, two prints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which both look really, really awesome. So, I mean, Todd, I know you're the biggest Friday the 13th fan out of all of us. Uh, is this something you'd pick up or. Uh, I'm, I'm on the fence just because I have all of them on Blu-ray and a lot of them are out of print. Um, mm-hmm. So they're costly to get. I think uh, Jason goes to hell. The uncut version is like a print on demand from Brazil. That's how fucking crazy it is. Wow. <laughs> um, but you know what? Like the collector in me really wants this. Yeah. And the I, artwork I think, is amazing. I think this will be a set, a set that will be like highly coveted years oh, yeah. down the road. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it limited it's, too? Uh, limited 13,000 copies. Yeah. Mm. Those bastards. And I feel yeah. like the I feel like that's a pretty fair price point too, for the amount of uh. It's, it's a lot of film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it have uh, Camp Crystal Lake memories in it? I I think mm. it does. I, I think it does. I thought I saw it did. Mm. But that's I could a be super wrong. Good one. Yeah. I don't see it on the list, but it's possible. Mm. There's so that's, many things. In isn't there. that like an eight hour? That's like an eight hour documentary, isn't it, or something like that? It might be. It might be longer like, than that. Yeah, it's two days. Super discs. long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good one though. Yeah, that one's that's a great one. And if you're an Elm Street fan, uh, Never Sleep Again is a fantastic mm. documentary too. That that one's about four hours long, but it's, it's a great one. I don't see it in here. I don't think it's in here. So <laughs> they it's, need it's to come out. Disc. They need to come up with a set that has all the movies and uh, 
the uh, TV series included as well there. Yeah, TV series not bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was better than the Elm, the Nightmare one on Elm Freddy's, Street. Freddy's, whatever, Freddy's Nightmares or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Are we ready for the? Uh, well, not the. It's called <laughs> Ghosts of War. Yes, let's do it. Yes. The outpost is thirty miles over those hills. Let's move out. Who are we babysitting this time? Not a who. A mansion. Yowzy, yowzy, yowzy. It's bigger than my whole neighborhood in Queens. Supposed to be a big deal when the 82nd Airborne came through and pushed out the Nazi high command. This is a life, boys. You hear that? We need to talk. We stay here, we're fishing a barrel. We're staying. What's that? I found it in the basement. It belonged to one of the Nazis who took over the house. It says what happened to the family who lived here. This ain't right, man. This place is bad juju. I'm just gonna say what we're all thinking. This place is haunted. Everything we experience, it's what the Nazis did to the family that lived here. Let's get out of this house. They're here. I want everyone geared up and ready to clear out. You can't leave. It won't let us leave. This isn't real. 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 All right. Remember to listen to the interview. It's directed by Eric Bress. 2020 release. Should be out when you hear this episode. Follows five battle-hardened American soldiers assigned to hold a French chateau near the end of World War II. Formerly occupied by the Nazi high command, this unexpected respite quickly descends into madness when they encounter a supernatural enemy far more terrifying than anything seen on the battlefield. All right, so we join a squad of American soldiers as they're walking around France. They make their way eventually to a giant mansion um, where they're relieving another American unit, which as soon as you get there, these guys bone out. They don't want to be there at all. Super, like, um, sketchy a little bit. They don't want to give them any information. They leave a bunch of their gear behind, and they're just like, eh, fuck off. Um, you guys take over. We'll be, we're leaving. Uh, so these guys go into the mansion, and immediately they find a bunch of weird stuff. Uh, burn marks on the ground, leftover equipment, um, a diary from a Nazi detailing some heinous acts that they committed. And then they start hearing a bunch of shit, um, noises, things moving, um, you know, and every kind of supernatural cliche you can get with things like that. Um, this is, I mean, such a, this is a twist heavy movie. So I don't know how much we want to dive into it. Cause I know it's not even out for a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe give I, our spo- spoiler-free review, and then we'll do we'll say spoilers, and because we have to talk about 
yeah the second yeah. half yeah that's most yeah. of the interesting stuff is in the second half so okay. i I, ag- I agree let's do like two separate reviews here or something all right so spoiler free um we we follow these men as they deal with not only uh attacking nazis that they have to fend off um but also the supernatural things that they slowly uncover and we learn about you know things that the nazis did to people that owned this house before and they have to kind of figure out how to protect themselves as well as get out of the situation and survive the war as well. Um, so I'll give my thoughts after you guys go. Steve, take it away. Yeah. Um, I really like this film. Um, now I think that what happens in the second half, which we'll talk on a spoiler side changes my thought of the film because I thought it was a pretty standard haunted uh, like mansion type film where it's a bunch of people put into a situation where hauntings start happening and the scares and the ghosts that you see are very, I almost want to say like cliche, like, and, and most ghost movies that you see are like this. It's a lot of jump scares, a lot of, um, you know, situations that are happening as they try to figure out and piece together uh, what the hauntings are about and what all that stuff is. I do like the performances in this film. Uh, it stars Theo Rossi, who you would know from Sons of Anarchy, and Luke Cage. Uh, it's got a really quick cameo from Billy Zane, which was interesting. Uh, it's got the guy who's in the new Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I think his name is Kyle Gallner. Uh, so it's got a really good crew of people. I like their interactions with each other. It felt genuine, like they actually knew each other. And... Uh, Overall, I really like the film, but more so because of what we're going to talk about later than what we can talk about now. Uh, yeah, I kind of uh, pretty much echo what Steve said in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I uh, really had no idea what to expect. Um, so we did get a screener uh, for this movie. That's how we were able to see this before um, its release date, which it is being released um, the day you guys are hearing this Uh so you can go and check it out on VOD. But yeah, overall, I uh, I definitely enjoyed this movie. Um, but I definitely will. I think you have to be patient with this movie because I think the first half is definitely probably the weakest of. And but then when the second half comes in, it definitely gets better and more interesting. Um, the first half, I it's a bit cliche, like Steve said. Um, it's your like typical ghost movie, and I kind of was comparing it to. Um, like almost like uh, the Curse of La Llorona, which we watched recently, where it's like just like really cheesy, hokey uh, jump scares and the ghosts were very cliche. But it makes sense once you get to that, um, you know, second half and, you know, you get into this uh, sort of twist. Um, and I'll leave it at that for now. But, yeah, I, I would say um, I, I would recommend it and I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, before we get in the the spoiler side, I my my problem I, I I didn't get into the movie because I thought the military's things were very unrealistic and it starts off really bad for me because you have these men sleeping out in the open without any kind of guard, which would like lead to their deaths very easily. Um, but then we figure out why that happens in the second half. But at that point, it was too far gone for me. Mm. Um, and unlike you guys, I didn't really find the characters believable um and i thought the budget kind of showed for it yeah and yeah 
There's like a like the CGI. There's like CGI blood in here and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. But but not even that so much. But um, I I thought that they had seen popular war films like for example Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. and then they took those characters and tried to mimic them and put them in here like. Theo Rossi is a fucking I'm the I'm the Italian guy, you know, <laughs> and then you got the sniper that's kind of like kooky and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of not my thing, but I did like Billy Zane speaking German and yeah. fighting and kicking that guy's ass, and then unfortunately it gets we know what happens to him. Yeah, you'll hear it in the interview, but uh, we talked a little Billy Zane in the interview, and uh, he said uh, he learned German just for this movie. Oh, really? That was pretty yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will conclude our spoiler-free version. Um, if you guys want to check out the movie before you listen to us spoil it, then I highly suggest that you stop listening now. If you're hopping off, thanks for yeah. listening. Come on back. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I want to say is that I really recommend that you watch this movie without knowing uh, what happens. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, definitely. <laughs> it took me by surprise, and I would hate that... You know, uh, you would know before watching it. I think if you have interest in watching this movie, you should definitely watch it first and then come back and listen to our spoiler review. Yeah, I totally agree. I think knowing before you go in, I think would make it a lot lesser of an impact and you probably would like it less too. Yeah, so there's your warning and we're going to talk about spoilers in like three, two, one. All right. Um, Did you guys see it coming at all? With no. Them? being no, dead no, essentially not at all i i nope. didn't um i knew something was obviously up when uh the one soldier there is kind of like it this isn't real this isn't real and i was like uh like i it's, it definitely got me to start to think but i did not see what actually was coming happening see i i thought they were in purgatory like yeah. they mm-hmm. they it wasn't the germans that killed those people it was actually them and yeah. they were being punished, um, yeah. especially when they went in the time loop where they couldn't walk away without coming back to the mansion. So I'm like, oh, this is this is actually pretty fucking cool. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't honestly like the sci fi way they did it, to be honest with you. I, I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of cheap. Well, why don't you tell the listeners what happens? Give them the spoiler and yeah. then we'll discuss. OK, so um, so it turns out that the supernatural thing in the movie is. Uh, a German or uh, some kind of family that was brutally murdered by the Nazis. All right. So they're not at rest. So the soldiers think, okay, we need to like bury them, say some prayers, whatever. And then um, they can stop haunting us. They can't leave. Uh, They are told via like a radio transmission that they leave, they die. Um, They try to leave and they walk in basically a giant loop and they always end up coming back and repeating the same day. They say they see the same prisoners flee out of a forest. They, go to the same chateau and so on eventually during the climax or what we think is the climax they're fighting the ghosts and it turns out that they're all under um like a forced coma a medical induced coma by billy zane's character who was a nazi in their fantasy world but is actually a doctor trying to help them um get through i guess like their severe ptsd and trauma they suffered in um, Iraq or Afghanistan they didn't really explain that but they were fighting ISIS and they had let essentially let a family be killed in front of them because they were hiding from ISIS who were like outnumbered them and in the process they were all 
seriously wounded, legs blown off. Uh, one guy had his face missing, things like that. So they were doing some kind of advanced like um, medical treatment where they put him through a bonding experience and they chose World War II because they said that was like a big brotherly kind of whatever word is where they, they bond with each other. But they didn't take into account that the Muslim family that they let die haunted them in the system. Yeah, they the, the Muslim family put a curse on yep. them, essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is my problem. I think it tries to do way too much, and that goes back to my military problem again, where there's no way in hell that those guys would hide from those fucking guys that came and murdered their family. Let alone would they allow them... Those guys are going to choose death before they choose. They let them torture teenagers and kids and stuff. So I did not buy that at all. Do you not? Um, do, would you say, Todd, since you know you served in the military, do you think you know that's why you kind of had more of an eye for all this? Yeah, it, it's hard sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you know, like you see that stuff and you notice that they were Marines and not armies, things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I just there's there's no fucking way in hell that that that's how that setup would be that they don't have any support that they don't have an armed drone that there's no way out it, it, there's just no way so i think they could have done something a little bit differently like maybe they're going to get their contact because this guy he's helping the americans out and obviously you can't help americans out they'll kill you um maybe if they're going to rescue him and they get to the location where they're already dead that would have made more sense mm-hmm. they still could have failed because they didn't protect them but not like literally like five feet away from them just to have their legs blown off by a survivor of the family. Then it, it didn't make any sense to me personally. Yeah. I mean, for me, like it made sense to me, you know? Um, but I mean, I can see like, obviously you being like in the military, I could see it like not making sense, I guess, but it's just like a normal, like civilian, you know, person. I, you know, to me, like I, I didn't think about like all of those, uh, like intricate details i guess you could say um so for me i was like i just saw it as them being like completely outnumbered so they like had to stand down um when they were hiding in the wall and uh to me that scene was like very impactful like you know it just kind to me it like showed what war really is like i mean war is hell and it's like the true horror of war um where they just felt like they were completely outnumbered and there was nothing they could do and they basically stood back and watched this family be, you know, massacred, um, which was a pretty, to me, it was an impactful scene. I mean, watching, you know, the guy get, he gets set on fire. The kids are, you know, hung. I mean, it's a very brutal scene. Um, So for me, I mean, it, it it worked personally for me. Yeah. And I'm kind of the same way as Joe. I mean, also, you know, for the same reasons, I'm just a civilian. So I only look at it from what I've read or what I've seen in movies and stuff. So the military stuff didn't bother me. The way I saw it is, A, they were outmanned, and B, uh, if they did go out, then they couldn't make the call because, remember, they sent, was it drones after those trucks once they left? Uh, And they couldn't have made that call if they had been killed. So they were kind of put in a position. It's like, do we sacrifice this family and get all the bad guys, or do we risk our lives and maybe, you know, the bad guys will get away? Uh, So that part of it didn't bother me. And this whole like kind of VR experience thing also kind of excused the CGI for me in the first half, right? Because it's a simulation, so it's not supposed to be perfect. And I thought that the wounds when they're in 
you know, the present time or the future uh, looked a lot better because now they're not relying, they're relying on practical effects because that's the real stuff. Whereas before it was all kind of a simulation. So I can yeah. excuse that stuff uh, for this film. You know, I don't always excuse bad CGI, but for this film, it kind of worked. Um, mm -hmm. My one issue with it is I thought the curse part was unnecessary. I thought it would have been just cool that their PTSD was so severe that that's why the simulation didn't work or something like that. I thought the curse part of it was a little weird. Like, why would it ingrain itself yeah. into a, um, <clears throat> you know, a simulation that yeah. didn't really make sense to me? Yeah, I to me, it just felt like they were pushing it to be more of just like a straight horror movie with the curse <laughs> stuff. Like, this could have been like a pretty, you know, like serious story about, you know, how soldiers deal with, you know... PTSD and just like about the, the horrors of war. Um, but I feel like maybe, I mean, you know, it could have been the director's choice, um, you know, uh, that he just wanted to go more the horror route with it. And that's why he chose the curse thing. Uh, personally, I didn't mind the curse angle. I felt like it kind of, you know, brought something a little more original and different into it. And I gotta say, in general, I feel like this movie is pretty original. Um, you know, I, I haven't really seen anything like this, is like mixing the war with horror. I mean, I know it's been done before, but I, I just hadn't seen it in this uh, thing. So, yeah, I mean, I dug it. And, you know, as to, uh, Steve was saying about, you know, how the first half and the second you know, the first half, the second half kind of excuses the first half's mistakes. And I, I totally agree with that um, as well. Uh, that's why I said, you kind of got to be a little patient with this movie because of that. Um, Cause like I said, I, I felt like the first half was very, uh, you know, not meh, but just kind of like, you know, I guess a little better than meh. I just, I felt like the, the scares were very cliche and I was like, Oh, I'm not going to like this movie. But then when it does take that turn, um, to me, I, I, that's where the, it put this movie, um, over the top for me. Yeah. And something else I really liked about it, um, is they explained some of the little details that were put at the beginning of the film, like Theo Rossi's character, for example, uh, he keeps like having to scratch his foot, uh, like he uses a fork and everything to scratch his right. foot. And that's explained later that he actually lost his leg. And it's like a phantom pain. So in the uh, the simulation, his brain is having that phantom pain. So just little things like that, I thought were nice little touches that kind of put everything together. Um, yeah, I just really, I, I really liked this film. It was definitely a great watch, but you need to see the full picture to really appreciate it. Yeah, and it, it made sense that they were sleeping out in the middle of a field in a circle because that's how their medical beds were. Yeah. So that made more sense. Like, oh, okay, I, I get it now. <laughs> um yeah but you know it, it it's a pretty smart movie too because the whole germans attacking thing when they're outnumbered like you know 10 to 1 or whatever it is it's kind of the doctor's trying to help them get through their cowardice of not mm -hmm. fighting isis when they're at the same odds right and then allowing them to fight in their dream or whatever you want to call it so i, I get that too mm -hmm. um but i i just i just don't think it was a good mix personally with the curse. It just, I think it was a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could see, I could definitely see that and uh, agree with that. The curse maybe wasn't um, necessary and uh, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I think the PTSD alone would have been a good enough explanation to why, mm -hmm. like maybe it was so bad that even the simulation couldn't, you know, help them. I thought just the curse part was weird, but other than that, 
uh, everything else I really like that. And I, I could definitely tell that this is the same guy who did Butterfly Effect. Yeah. It had a similar uh, kind of mindfuck that uh, that movie had. Um, so, yeah, I, it was, I definitely saw the resemblance in that sense. Mm-hmm. And also, this was his first movie he's directed since Butterfly Effect. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, I think, about 16 or 17 years since the butterfly effect so yeah oh. this is his first yeah it's his first movie and uh, i actually asked him about that in an interview so you'll hear why yeah and just so uh, for those who maybe not don't listen to all the interviews this one is really good the guy is yeah. super interesting very nice told a lot of really interesting stuff about final destination butterfly effect in this film uh this is definitely one not to miss it's my, it's probably one of my favorite interviews i've done so yeah i would agree the guy was a complete gentleman he was awesome so nice very forthcoming with all of his answers and uh yeah it, it's a great interview so yeah definitely stick around for it yeah that, that being said i mean i think it's clear that i didn't like the film as much as you guys but i think <laughs> the director slash writer is a talent like his ideas are unique Mm-hmm. And especially the movies I've actually seen, like, you know, Final Destination 2 is great. Um, so I'm really interested to see what this guy does next. And I really hope it's another mindfuck time loop movie because I really love those kinds of movies. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's his next one again. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, ratings? I'll start us off. Um, yeah, so like I said, I mean, overall, I, I definitely really enjoyed this. It's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but... Um, I definitely recommend it. I think it's definitely worth um, a watch. It may not be for everyone. I think if you're not into war movies, this might be one for you to skip. But, you know, if you like the, you know, melding of horror and war um, and you find that to be an interesting thing, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Um, So I am going to give this one a seven and a half. Steve? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I really dug this film. I really yeah, like, and it's one of those, even after I thought about it, I liked it almost even more because of the things that were kind of coming together in my mind and everything. So it's one of the most kind of enjoyable experiences I've had in 2020 so far. Uh, yeah. it's not like number one or anything, but I, to me, I give it a solid eight. Nice. Both in your guys' top 10? Yeah, currently in my yeah, top, top 10. Top five right now for me. Nice. I mean, it's, you know, 2020, but still, it's, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't too into it, um, but I do think it was a unique picture, so I'm going to give it a solid 6 out of 10, which, mm-hmm. I mean, not not a fantastic score, but I definitely think, I think people will enjoy it, even though I didn't, so check mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. And uh, that's it. So I think next time we're doing a shark or aquatic horror vote, mm-hmm. right, to honor Shark Week? No, Ooh. no, that that's in in three weeks. So uh, that's three weeks. So what we yeah, we're gonna week? do it during during Shark Week. I think next week we talked about doing Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween Two to keep up with our remake trend Ooh. that we've been on. And then sometime after that, Vivarium. Yeah. yeah maybe definitely. the week yeah, after. Yeah. Fun fun fact. Yeah, we were actually supposed to do Vivarium this week, but then this uh, kind of fell in our laps, and uh, so we we decided to do this one. But yeah. yeah. And for the record, Vivarium is the second most notes I've taken for a film that we <laughs> were potentially review. Only the platform I took more notes. But, I am, uh, I am very, lot. I'm very excited to discuss Vivarium. That movie is quite interesting. There's a lot. So, yeah, yeah, there's a lot in that movie to unpack. <laughs> I'm gonna so, watch yeah. it again before we. Before I am too. We do it, yeah. it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and knowing what happens might give me a dis- different perspective the second time, you know? When sure. you're watching it the first time, you're kind of trying to figure stuff out, but mm-hmm. when you know what it's about, it, yeah, it'll be interesting. So We'll definitely do that probably in two weeks. And it's still not clear what happens, so... No, exactly. good, and that's, that's good, what's going to be such a good discussion, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I when I was watching, I'm like fucking Joe with his spoiler, <laughs> but then at the end, I'm like fucking Joe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Rob Zombie, Halloween. Watch those guys to um, you know, keep up with us. I, and I'm, actually, I'm actually excited to revisit Rob Zombie's Halloween too, um, mm-hmm. which might sound kind of crazy, but I haven't watched it since I've only watched it one time ever, so. I'm kind of interested to see what I think of it on on the, this rewatch. The opening's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's like a fucking great slasher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel the same way I did when we rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street. It's mm-hmm. been so long, and people shit on it so much that I'm like interested to see: is it really as bad as I remember, or maybe now that I have different perspective, it's not that bad. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I, w- I watched them both within the last maybe four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely gonna watch them both again, and oh, it's yeah. gonna be a good, good discussion. Yeah, I've seen the original, the uh, the first one so many times, but I'm mm-hmm. I'll definitely rewatch it for the for this uh, retrospective we're gonna do. And then I think that will officially close out our 2000 remakes. Yeah, I think. I think, I think well, we never did Dawn of the Dead. I mean, but that's not uh, a slasher. Yeah, that's true. Big slashers. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to do May, Dawn, and Night, the two remakes, or... Yeah. Ooh. May, Dawn, Night, and Day, the three, like... Oh, I'm not doing the Day remake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least Dawn and Night, I I think they're both great remakes. Nick Cannon, Day, Dawn of the Dead? No, Day of the Dead? Fuck no. And we gotta do what we gotta do our Craven retrospective at some point, too. Uh, There's a lot of... We got a lot. We got a lot we gotta do. Yeah, Car- yeah. I don't know if he. I don't think he's ever going to do another movie. So we probably could do a Carpenter retrospective. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, and, and the Exorcist yeah, show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you fucking keep pushing that. He does. I've been pushing that since before I was on the podcast. <laughs> I need to sit down and watch it. Episode one was freaking it's fu- cool. It's fucking like ten episodes. For fuck's sake! It's almost. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like we we watch what was it? Uh, what was that movie? This fucking four hour Salem's Lot. It's practically like. Yeah, and the yeah. shine and the shining. And the shinings. Uh, yeah. Shit, that Indie was like series. six hours of the shining. Uh, <laughs> oh. I think we can do the <laughs> exercise. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's lock down a date for that for sure. So then it kind of forces us to start watching it. Yeah, sounds good. We should organize ourselves and make a calendar. Yeah, we. I mean, we have like a good like outlook for the next, I'd say, four weeks or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, once again, Allie. Uh, send us one of us your shipping inf- uh, shipping information so I can get the box out to you. Yeah, I think she um, sent uh, her review thing to the Hard Squad podcast, so that's probably the oh, best cool. best way to send it through. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you, right. and you, don't forget the interview. Yeah, enjoy it. Right. Bye. Bye. Uh, Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast. Tonight, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, Genre fans will know him best for his uh, writing work on Final Destination 2 and The Final Destination, and also for directing The Butterfly Effect. Tonight, he joins us to discuss his latest movie, Ghosts of War, which will be releasing July 17th. Uh, Director Eric 
Express. Is that, am I pronouncing that right, Eric? <laughs> you are pronouncing it exactly right. Hey, everyone. Right. Happy to be here. All right. Awesome. Uh, so, Eric, why don't you just kind of tell us uh, a little bit about Ghosts of War, how you got involved with the project and everything. Well, I guess for years, uh, you know, you're fans of horror, I'm fans of horror, and I always, if you've seen The Butterfly Effect, uh, which is a movie that would never be made today, you'll realize that my aesthetic is to definitely not go with where the studio wants you to go. And uh, for years, I'd been writing different kinds of horror films. And every time I would pitch one to this studio, they would say, yeah, no, it's really got to be about a family that moves into a haunted house because people feel safe in their homes. And that's really the only place you should do a horror movie. And, you know, I didn't have time to go through the many lists of movies that didn't take place where the family moves into the haunted house. Uh, and I just felt going, wow, that's where we are. That's where we are in, in this era of, um, you know, the Blumhouse era or, you know, just where you only have summer tentpole movies and the under two million uh, horror films. Um, but I don't want to see that same story that we've all seen a thousand times. Half the time I'm watching a movie, I'll just be thinking, you know, it's just once I'd like to see some badasses move into a horror house and, and see what happens there. And uh, that was kind of what got me thinking first about expanding the world of the traditional haunted house thing into something that's just a little off the beaten path. And I ultimately ended on World War II and a bunch of soldiers that are just sent on a cake mission to sit at a chateau that the Nazis came through. And it's 1944, nearing the end of the war. And we're now taking back France and our soldiers, like a Saving Private Ryan gang, just think that it's going to be an easy assignment, and it isn't. Yeah, now, were you always interested in uh, war movies, and was it always something you kind of wanted to get into with filmmaking? Yeah, I've definitely always been interested in war movies, that's for sure. But I think it was 1986, I was 17, watching Platoon. And there's a scene at night where Charlie Sheen is the only man awake and the guy who's supposed to be on guard duty has fallen asleep. And it's a scene where you just see the enemy creeping through the shadows and it's dead quiet and you can just barely see these silhouettes coming through the trees. And that to me was a horror movie. You can say it's a horror movie, but that was pure terror. <laughs> And I think like that moment probably was the inspiration of this film. Just sort of why is not every war movie in some ways a horror movie? They, they show the ravages of war, but a lot of times they show the glory of it and the heroism. And I would think, man, it's just more, more aligned with the horror genre uh, yeah. than many others. Yeah, definitely. A real life horror for sure. Uh, did you find it difficult to combine uh, the supernatural elements in this movie, like into, you know, combining it into a war film? Well, I knew I was going to be sort of, I don't know if I should say mashing up the genres, but definitely <laughs> transitioning between them. So it all had to be uh, done where the cinematography, the music, this, this production design, everything would change slowly throughout the film 
so that it never felt like, huh, what movie are we in now? So it, it was definitely tricky. And because literally the first 10 minutes of the film, even the instrumentation, uh, Mike Subi, the composer, you know, we, we thought it, we planned it all out. There's going to be brass. It's going to sound like a kind of a Spielbergian, you know, traditional war movie or the soundtrack from Apollo 11, something that's just got this national anthem flair to it. And that the same melodies would be used and the same melodic themes once you get to the house, but the instrumentation would be different. And the, and the palette of the instruments would change once you get there and you start um, blending the, the different mixes of, of the genres together so that hopefully the audience is never bumped by it. Now, I want to uh, jump over to the cast now. Uh, it, the cast, I thought, in this was just fantastic. Uh, you could really feel the, the camaraderie between them, too. Um, how, was, how was the chemistry and, and vibe on the set? I was surprised. Like, when everyone first arrived, it turned out that, you know, Skylar and Kyle already knew each other. And huh. Theo and Alan had worked together. And now I, Brenton and Alan are working on a TV show. I, you know, they say that it's Hollywood's a small world. And I was very relieved to know that some of these guys already had a history with each other. So, you know, you hear stories that on the set of Fury during pre-production, and I don't know, it could be just a story and you might know better than I, um, you know, all of the cast members had to fight each other as a bonding exercise. And luckily I didn't have to do that with my cast because most of them already knew each other. And, uh, you know, what we really focused on was the training. We, you know, a Navy SEAL consultant comes in and, you know, shows you the actual weapons from World War II. I'm a bit of a gun nut myself. So I had a sense that our hero would probably use a Chrome 1911, you know, 45 caliber pistol. Like I'm on like a lot of gun websites and like I know like guns have personalities, like cars have the drivers who have them. Um, so I was very focused on getting that right. And then the, uh, the, our war consultant was in there and making sure that when they cleared a room, when they carried their weapons, whether it's a three point sling or a two point sling, you, that it's authentic to World War II. Uh, so that's different because today I imagine, you know, in Afghanistan, they're walking, moving differently. You know, it's uh, the strategies yeah. and tactics have evolved, but I just wanted these guys to feel as authentic as possible and fatigued. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was great to see Billy Zane in there too. You know, haven't seen, haven't, I haven't seen him in a role in a while. So it was, I was really happy to see him back on the camera behind the camera there. Yeah, I mean, it's really great when you have someone who has this, you know, gravitas to the scene. I don't want to spoil too much, but, um, you know, the guy's a total pro where he shows up to set and he's memorized German because that's what was called for for the role. Wow. So, like, uh, I think in the script there was nothing written but grunting and then he shows up and, wow, this is and fantastic <laughs> so um and i again don't want to spoil anything but um, right <laughs> i imagine the audience will be surprised at his, at the way his first appearance uh ends <laughs> yeah i think so yeah <laughs> <laughs> might create uh, a little bafflement but it, it <laughs> makes sense a, a little later in the story right absolutely 
so it's been 16 years since you directed uh, your last movie, which was The Butterfly Effect, of course. Um, how did it get, how did it feel to get, uh, to get back behind the camera? And uh, was there a reason for such uh, a long layoff, if you don't mind me asking? No, no, no problem. Um, in 2004, Butterfly Effect comes out, and a lot of good things are happening for me and my partner, Jay Mackay Gruber. And one of the things that happens is ABC Family picks up a TV show we created that we had written a few years earlier called Kyle XY. And I don't know what got into our heads, but we said, yeah, we'll do a TV show and direct films, you know, on the months that we're not working on the TV show. But television is all consuming, we were to find out. And that show went on for four years. And, uh, you know, then it made it hard. Like, I thought I'd paid my dues. I thought I'm in the club. Everything I've ever done has made money. You know, I got no enemies in this business. I'm, I, you know fairly likable guy who never shows up late and uh you know but it is hard and the business at the by the time the tv show ended i guess i had written the final destination and about that time all the studios who were cannibalizing each other every weekend by putting out every studio was putting out like two films uh counter programming but then that would be counter programming other films of other studios, and I guess everyone banded together and the, on the top floor and said, hey guys, why don't we release fewer films, rake in all the money, and the business changed. New Line was folded up into Warner Brothers. That, that was happening all over. And all of a sudden, instead of releasing 30 movies a year, you know, uh, New Line's got to pick their top 10. And the entire industry sort of got hit by a shockwave of sanity, you, you might say, where movies could last longer than one week in the theater before the next tentpole crept up behind them. Um, but it then became harder because I didn't own any IP. I didn't own the Conjuring universe. Um, all the stuff that I do is it generally starts out spec. Um, and it has to, and a spec script is a script that's an orphan. There's no development executive that's been working on it for a couple of years or bought some IP or read a novel and is championing it behind the scenes. A spec script has to just be so interesting that they say, ah, the hell with it. And, uh, the movie that I've been working on in the back room with the writers and uh, the original author, we're not going to do, we're going to do this one first. So it took a while before this second one came out. And to get to the first part of your question, I was really fucking scared when I first arrived in <laughs> Bulgaria going, oh my God, it's been forever. I'm old. <laughs> like, I don't, how am I going to do this? Where will I find the stamina? Before I had a partner, we could split up the duties. I'd be working with actors. He'd be working with camera. Now, suddenly it was all on me. And I really was it was a fake it till you make it situation where you know i'm in the hotel room wondering all right tomorrow's first day of uh pre-production i hope i don't totally blow it but i think a combination of the fact that the film studio in bulgaria was uh, millennium films was so ripe for this kind of movie because they already have an arsenal with all the weapons and armory and and the motor pool has got all the original Jeeps, you know, that were left behind in Europe during World War II. So you just have, you know, all this abundance of, of research that you don't have to do because it's all right there. And then instead of normally wh where I was um, leaning into uh, 
Jay Mackay Gruber, my writing and directing partner, well, I would just lean a little more into my amazing cinematographer and production designer. And, um, you know, I, I realized that that worked really well. And I never felt any extra duress that I expected. Um, I, yeah, I had a question. Um, now that you've directed two, honestly, on a, a really awesome films, uh, would you be interested in keep directing? And would you take someone else's story? Uh, I know you've written or co-written both The Butterfly Effect and Ghosts of War. Would you be interested in taking one written by someone else completely? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would. If someone came to me with the script and I read it and I was blown over by it, I would definitely be interested in directing it, depending on, I guess, what it was. I don't think I'll ever be ready for a Marvel Universe type movie. Like, not that I would be given the chance, but like, that's just too many cuts. That's too many visual effects shots. That just would drown me. Uh, but for just a a brilliantly written script with amazing characters that I couldn't put down, I'd absolutely want to do it. I'd be desperate to do it. But I do know from what the work I've done, and when I watched all the behind-the-scenes footage of the actors giving interviews, I was surprised because they all said, and I don't think they were coached to say, it's great when you work with a writer and director because then any question you ask the director he already knows the detailed backstories of all the characters, things that aren't even in the script anymore, but might have been. He knows what kind of apartment building you grew up in Queens. He has answers to all of your questions, and generally a director might tell you to go ask the writer that or just kind of fake mumble an answer or just say, say your lines. But when it's a writer-director, they enjoy filling you in on the details of your character. So for me, if I were to direct someone else's material, I would just want to, you know, go with them somewhere for a week and just go through it line by line and say, well, where does this come from? Where does that come from? Just so that I have not just 100 pages in my head, but the volumes of backstory that led up to why every line of dialogue is there. Awesome. Um, I do want to speak a little bit about Final Destination. Now, when people ask me what horror films have affected my life, my real life the most, I say arachnophobia and Final Destination. That's because I am so, if I'm on the highway and I see a truck with logs, I am moving out of the way because I've seen that movie or I, I'm in a theme park. How do you feel about that effect on people? And can you tell us about your experience with Final Destination? Yeah. Well, first off, I'm glad that that has burrowed into your subconscious and, and made a nervous wreck out of you. Then I've done my job. Uh, um, uh, to let you know, it also made a nervous wreck out of me while I was writing uh, one I was co-writing and, the, and uh, number four, The Final Destination, haha, ha, there was a fifth, uh, <laughs> was it, it makes you a little crazy because I remember being in my apartment building and I'm down in the laundry room and I'm like, oh man, that like the dryer is spinning out of control or it's on a spin cycle and I'm thinking, okay, if that pipe slipped off right now and fell into that open lid and the thing were spinning, it could shoot me right in the eye. And you live like that for about a year, six months to a year while you're writing the thing. And, it, you, and you're forced to, it's part of the job, but every time you get in your car, man, it's, it's a nervous outing <laughs> compared to most times. And by the time I wrote the, the uh, second one, I was an avid Harley rider. 
So now I'm always, and, and the movie starts off with a different sort of car crash than the more naturally organic to us all car crash of Final Destination 2. But again, I'm, I'm suddenly a paranoid uh, motorcycle rider, uh, clothes washer, you know, you know, just doing dishes suddenly becomes harrowing because you are looking for every possible thing that could go wrong. But I still love when, you know, on my Facebook page with all of its 300 friends, someone will forward me a meme of some photo somebody took driving behind a log truck or a truck with a million pipes coming off of it that don't seem uh, too securely attached. And it's just said, a final destination moment. I, I love that a final destination moment is a thing. What's, uh, what's your favorite kill you, you wrote? Um, originally in part two, uh, the kid goes to the dentist and he gets crushed by a plate of glass. And I think the actor we got was 15. Originally in the script, I think he was seven. You know, like when you're writing that, you don't think, oh man, mom's really not going to like this. <laughs> you think, what is the nastiest, you know, what is just wrong? What is wrong? And what is wrong with you for having a seven-year-old kid get um, crushed by a plate of glass, which is very simple. But I would have to say my favorite kills are the bus death in part one, which I had nothing to do with, but I got to enjoy it with fresh eyes. And um, I think maybe the one that I enjoyed writing the most was in part two, the airbag sequence, mm. where <laughs> an airbag uh sort of causes an impalement which leads to a drop cigarette which leads to a gasoline leak which leads to an explosion which leads to a bisection of another character i i always enjoyed the uh mechanics of that when you're uh writing like all the you know the craziness of final destination uh, do you consider it like a somewhat therapeutic thing at all <laughs> um <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I can't say, I can't say yes to that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, no, but it's fun. It's, it makes yeah. me giggle and the worse it is. And also uh, both the films that I've had a hand in writing, the uh, director is David Ellis. Um, he's passed away, unfortunately, since uh, the, the second movie, but there's nothing more fun than being on a set with David Ellis after he's gotten three different takes of plate class falls on body, you know, and the whole ca uh, cast and crew is gathered around the monitor because that third one where the blood bags exploded everywhere and we're all cheering and laughing and feeling sick to our stomachs. It's just, it's a great feeling. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I just wanted to uh, jump over to uh, Butterfly Effect real quick before we let you go, because I, I have a pretty uh, funny story, I think, anyway. Um, with my first experience watching the Butterfly Effect, um, I had bought the DVD, and I had I had saw on the, there was a the theatrical version and the director's cut version. And I was like, well, let me just throw on the director's cut version, having no idea that mm -hmm. it was a completely different ending. And when I watched it a couple years later with friends, and I saw that the ending was completely different. It like blew my mind. Like I was like, holy shit, like it's two completely different movies. Um, so 
I just kind of know what happened with those two. Was it, um, did, was it a studio decision to go the other way or what happened with all that? What's funny is that, yeah, as an artist, um, Jay Mackay Gruber, who I call Jonathan and I, you know, we're quote sick fucks unquote. <laughs> so the disturbing baby ending, I could say, um, mm -hmm. the director's cut ending we fought for so hard, yep. but the, the very last test screening we had, or one of the test screenings we had, actually was early on, the movie was so bloated. It was like our first test screening. There were scenes that have since been cut, air that has since been cut. So it was this overly bloated experience. And while the audience liked it, uh, we as the filmmakers and the producers and executives were sweating in the back of the room because it was probably two hours and 20 minutes, a half hour longer than it ever needed to be. And, and we're just, and we're dying. We're, we're tortured. And the audience seems to, when they're filling out their cards, say like, no, they like it and they'd recommend it to a friend. That's what you want to know. But the first thing we were told is, dude, we, meet, we need to make this thing a hit. We need to make it a commercially viable product or we're all up Shit's Creek. So eliminate that director's cut ending and give me the best, more accessible, you know, the happier ending, the bittersweet yeah. ending that is the direct, the theatrical. But what would probably surprise you to hear, and I don't know if it's a function of age or time, is that now I prefer the theatrical ending and that now I would probably go to yet another ending on the DVD, which was... <laughs> at the time, labeled by Jonathan and myself, the happy, sappy ending, where our two lovebirds just get together at the end of the movie and, and ride off into the sunset together. And it's ridiculous after the darkness we've seen that it would ever end that happy. And today, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. That movie's kind of rough. I, I wouldn't mind if to see it all worked out in the end so much. Yeah. Like, I'm maybe I'm a little softer now, but it's sort of like, man, we put the audience through the ringer on that. And I wouldn't mind if they left feeling like, oh, well, at least it all turned out just fine. Yeah. But the artists in us were like, nah, it's got to be dark. <laughs> it's got to be dark. Yeah. Uh, were you approached to come back for part two or was that just? We were, but it was like, we were approached. It was a weird situation. The, the first movie had done gangbusters and was in fact New Line Cinema's top, most, most profitable film of that year. And it was at a time where straight to DVD was still a thing. There was still a market for DVDs out there in the world. And the thought came that maybe instead of going big on the sequel, uh, you know, it's got a name. There's so maybe just go straight to DVD instead of the original $11 million budget. How would you guys like to do a $3 million version? And we were like, no, 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 no. I mean, first off, I mean, I don't know, I guess it'd be like, you know, do you really want to see a Pulp Fiction too? The movie ties itself up perfectly. Like, I don't need to see that universe anymore unless, you know, he creates part of the Tarantino verse and I'll, then um, count me in of course. But, um, you know, in butterfly effect, it seemed like, no, there's like Shakespearean closure on that. We don't need a part two and a part three. So, uh, Jonathan Gruber, myself, we just stayed out of it. And, um, you know, to be honest, I, I have not seen those movies. 
I have heard not good things about those movies, and I wish that they did not exist because, you know, that was kind of yeah. our baby. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the end of that tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't, I've never seen the sequels either, and I don't think Steve has either. So I don't think many people have. So, and <laughs> The Butterfly Effect was just a, I think, a, a perfect movie and definitely did not need a sequel whatsoever. Um, but anyway, Eric, uh, is there anything else, you know, before we let you go, is, uh, is there anything else you'd like to promote? Do you have anything coming up or do you want to uh, go well, back I wouldn't to mind, Ghosts of War? I don't even mind circling back to Ghosts of War, which comes yeah. out July 17th, Absolutely. which is uh, this Friday from the time we're uh, speaking. Um, I just, if you are a fan of the butterfly effect and you are a fan in horror movies, which I assume if you're listening to this, you must be, um, I, I I can say that this movie will definitely surprise you. And there is a sort of cerebral underpinning to it, uh, just like the butterfly effect, as complicated as the butterfly effect was to craft and write and then film. There was an equal, if not more detailed attention to what had to be done with this film. So if you're a fan of one, I, I highly recommend this one and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I, you know, speaking for myself and Steve, uh, I, I was talking to him before we came on and uh, we both loved this movie and we are definitely going to highly recommend it to uh, everyone, especially all the horror fans. And even I think non-horror fans, I think uh, will will definitely enjoy this one as well. I think it melds the two uh, two different genres very well together. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what you do next, Eric, because uh, we, we, we all really enjoyed this one. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's your damn drum roll, Joe.